Amen? Amen. So, what I understand is you take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I wish we could pass the Bible out to those of you who were unable to bring one this morning, but you probably can find it on your phone. Wi-Fi access here is free and pretty powerful. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I've learned that we have a 1.5 second delay between what you hear live in here and what the lobby hears live out there. So I'm going to do something really fun this morning. All right, I'm going to pause for amens. And then we get to hear an echo of amens in the lobby 1.5 seconds later. So when I'm preaching, if I think it's a really powerful good point, I'm going to point at you and you can say, Amen. and in the lobby they'll say, there you go. Can <laughs> you imagine how it's going to sound in heaven? Right? Just antiphonal amens all day long as we sing across and around the throne of God. Amen. So, I didn't point, I said that. All right. We've been studying a wonderful passage of Scripture here in the first chapter of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians that talks about healthy Christian relationships. We cannot have any healthy, spiritually reproductive ministry at Grace Church of Menor unless we have healthy relationships within the body of Christ. Would you agree? Amen. The Spirit of God cannot be grieved, cannot be grieved when it comes to Christian relationships inside the body. There's, there's really not much the Spirit of God will do with us, through us, outside the body, if we're not right inside the body. So Paul uh, talks to the Corinthian believers. He's already, as you've been listening address them on much more serious issues than this. They've responded well, but there's still a little cell group in this church that he first met as we re uh, rehearsed last week in Acts chapter 18 that doesn't trust him. They've actually been peddling among themselves inside the local church there at Corinth that Paul was unreliable. Right? Remember, they called him fickle. He couldn't make up his mind. After all they faced in the past that we outlined in his first letter that he addressed with them, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the reality that they were now upset with him over his indecision about his travel plans. But you know what? That's the nature of our Christian fallen existence, isn't it? Even we can become a little fickle, a little bit more fickle than we need to, a little bit more indecisive than we need to. So the Apostle Paul addresses... Instead of them being focused on his indecisiveness, why don't they focus on the, his eternal amen, his eternal yes, who is Jesus Christ, the unchanging spirit of God that indwells him, to regain their confidence in his message, in his person, and in his ministry among them. And that's what we're doing. That's what we've spent the last several weeks doing, actually. We looked at verses uh, 12 to 14 together. And then we looked at the introduction and the conclusion to the next section of Scripture, beginning in verses 15, going all the way through verse 24. We saw an introduction in verses 15 to 17. As a matter of fact, that first phrase in verse 15, in this confidence, is a connector 
uh, or a continuation or based on what's been said in verses 12 to 14, now we can move forward with this next section of introduction in verses 15 to 17. The conclusion of this portion of Scripture was in verses 23 and 24. We gave a whole sermon just to the introduction of the conclusion. Then last week when we were together, we looked at the first two of three major sections that we find here, beginning in verses 18, going through verse 22. We saw a proclamation of God's faithfulness. You can go back and listen to or watch that on your own time, a proclamation of God's faithfulness. And then the explanation of God's faithfulness as detailed for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our eternal Amen. Our eternal yes. All the promises of God are encapsulated and delivered to us and received by us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we all know, if you have a healthy understanding of the Gospels, that the ministry of the Spirit of God to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in his earthly ministry was profound. So as the Spirit of God has placed us into Jesus Christ and we've been made one with him and the Spirit of God indwells us, now this morning we look at four particular ways that the Spirit of God underpins or strengthens or bolsters our ministry among one another here at Grace Church of Mentor. Some of these will be review. For some of you that have recently come to Christ, you'll learn these four activities of the Spirit of God, maybe for the first time. But let's read here, uh, beginning in verse 21 and 22. We had a proclamation, we had an explanation, and now we're going to have an affirmation. Here is the affirmation of God's proclamation and his explanation in Christ. It's affirmed in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the work that he does through his person and through the word that he's uh, inspired and preserved for us. So let's look at verse 21 and 22, and we'll find all four here. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Now, you say, where's the Holy Spirit in here? We're transitioning here to God the Spirit. God is mentioned in verse 18. That was the proclamation, he's faithful. The Son is explained in the following verses, and now we're going to find out as he continues on in this text that when he speaks of God here doing the establishing and the anointing, he goes on in verse 22 to say, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So there's four verbs here. The first verb is the word establishes. And then we're going to see anoints, seals, and gives, that word gave just simply means pledges. He pledges the Spirit to us, and we'll look at these together. So he establishes. And then what we're going to do with the word seal, we're going to say he commissions. Or anoints, excuse me, anoints, he commissions. And then with the word seal is safekeeping. He establishes, he commissions. In the Spirit of God, there is safekeeping 
And then by the Spirit of God, there is a guarantee. A guarantee. So just some synonyms to go along with these particular works of the Spirit of God in our lives. So it says here again in verse 21, now he who establishes us with you. See the preposition in there? The Greek is actually into. The Spirit of God establishes us into Christ. So we're going to find out from this text is that it mirrors our church mission statement. We exist to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints unto Christ's likeness. This is the purpose of the Spirit of God in our life, to establish us. And if you know the Greek grammar, this is what we call a present active indicative. This is something that the Spirit of God is interested in doing in you every day as he indwells you. The Spirit of God desires to omnipotently compel you to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. The word establish means to cause to believe or to establish someone in belief. It's actually a commercial term of business in the first century. So as the Corinthian people would have been hearing this, they would have been thinking commerce or in particular, someone selling goods, a, a salesman. Right? This is the idea of a, of a confident salesman who, who actually believes in the product that he's selling. When I was in college, um, I got lured into a mark, multi-level marketing sales gimmick. I was a college kid trying to pay my monthly college bill, and I wasn't being too successful. And uh, I was reminded after I went through it that anything that sounds too good to be true typically is, right? But I went into it anyway. I was uh, lured into selling water filters, there was a company back in the 1980s called NSA, and they actually were water filters, right? And I was uh, brought into a lot of meetings trying to buy in to the need of everyone having a water filter because the water, their tap water, had to be poisonous to them, right? Uh, I wasn't very successful selling water filters. As a matter of fact, I think I sold two. And I think those two people felt bad for me, right? One of them was my parents, right? So I should have just had them send the money to my school bill. They're my parents, right? Why do you need a water filter? You know why I was unsuccessful? Because I really didn't think Tim Potter needed an NSA water filter. I didn't believe in the product, that it would be good for me. That's not the idea here. God the Spirit is completely confident in our eternal yes, our eternal amen. He, he lives within us to compel us to become like Jesus. And for the Holy Spirit of God, right, that's an incessant obligation of his that he's placed upon himself as he underpinned the ministry of Christ on his public ministry, so he desires to compel you to live Christ's life now as you become more and more like him. He daily establishes us in this way. So this is an essential place for Paul to begin his explanation of the permanent and progressive work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit who is God's confidence 
in us, dependable and reliable, to compel us to accomplish what he promises. We even cited Philippians 1, 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. When you think of he that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Think about that now. We typically think about that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Spirit of God is in you. He's placed us into Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. He has placed us into Jesus Christ. So who's the eternal one that compels us to become like the Christ that we've been placed into? It's the Spirit of God. Right? So we could actually say, he that began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can put all three members of the Godhead in Philippians 1, 6 now based on our text that we're considering the last several weeks together. This is an omnipotent work of the Godhead in us. And particularly here, the Spirit of God's very interested in us being conformed to the image of our Savior. So we recall the accusation of Paul being fickle. He was accused and gossiped about in the Corinthian church as being unreliable. I want you to stop for a second here. Adult, teenager, child, just stop, all right? We're going to put it in park just for a second. Keep your engine on. All right? Roll your windows down. It's a beautiful day, great breeze. Maybe we should open some windows in here. I'm hot. Just take a big, what we used to call as teenagers, whiff of fresh air. Breathe it in. I want you to stop, draw the circle around yourself, because I had to do that this week as I was preparing for this message, and ask yourself this question. Who at Grace Church of Mentor, pastor, elder, deacon, member, who at Grace Church of Mentor have I allowed to become my excuse for lack of faithfulness and commitment to Grace Church of Mentor in the pursuit of Christ-likeness. Because some of you in this room have them. And those names and faces just popped up in your head. I don't come to church because of so-and-so. I don't come to church because I wasn't recognized. I don't come to church, I don't know. I'm pumping the brakes with church because he, she, uh, uh. Can I just tell you this? Satan himself has taken your eyeballs and put them on the frailty of man and off of your eternal amen in Jesus Christ. Therefore, your growth in Christ's likeness is halted. And I can say that. It really is scripturally impossible for you to grow in Christ's likeness if you have aught with a brother or sister that keeps you from worshiping and serving with joy. So who is he? Who is she? Maybe it's me. Maybe it's Pastor Mike or Steve or Kent. Maybe it's one of our wives. I don't know. Who are they? Identify it. And then do this. Do what we have to do. Do what we're compelled to do by the Spirit of God. Find Jesus in that person that's offended you. Assume that it's their desire to grow to become more like Christ and that the Spirit of God is daily compelling them to be established in Christ's likeness. 
Then, giving them the benefit of the doubt, go to them and maybe assume that what you discerned was just mere misunderstanding. And then you'll find out in the conversation whether it was or wasn't. There's never going to be conflict resolution unless we can assume what Paul's asking the Corinthian people here to assume of himself. The Spirit of God is establishing in me. He's tutoring me. He's compelling to me because he believes in Jesus. He knows I've been placed into the righteousness of Christ. He knows I want to be like Jesus Christ. Corinthians, you knew this. Go back the many months when I first came to you from the time I came to you till now. You know I've been wanting to grow. You know I've been transparent with you about my failures and my inadequacies. These things you know. So please, if you keep looking at me, you're going to struggle. If you could just consider what the eternal amen by the Spirit of God's being done in me, that'd be super helpful. That'd be super helpful. Because guess what? We're doing the same thing with you. You get asked the question all the time, Pastor, how can you be so patient with people with some of the things that they go through and some of the things they accuse you of? They say, you know what, my friends? It's, it's actually not that hard. Sure, humanly, I guess it can get a little discouraging, but you know what? It's not that hard if we're going to practice this text. It's easy for me to sit down and know that they're placed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now I know, without even my influence in my life, the Spirit of God's been indwelling them, bugging them every day to become more and more like Jesus. Without me even in their life. I know he's doing that. The text just told me that. The Spirit of God is eternally ready to develop Christ-likeness in you. And he's doing that. And sometimes he does that by conviction. Your character is not like Jesus is today. I think you better go talk to someone about forgiveness. Jesus knew how to forgive lavishly. Maybe we can learn from him how to forgive. Parents, you're going to have to deal with this with your kids. My parents dealt with me with this. As when I was growing up in church. Yeah, I don't want to go back to church. That youth group leader, we only had like three in our youth group back then. <laughs> right? You can call it a youth group. I, I don't know. They said something to me that just didn't sit right with me. If I didn't have my dad saying, you know what? Shape up. Grow up. They're a saint. They're growing just like we are. We'll sit down and have a conversation. Well, no, no, no. That's not what I meant, Dad. We ain't going there. No, we're going to have a conversation. You brought it up. If that's why you're not compelled to go to church anymore and continue to grow in Christ's likeness, I'm sure that that youth leader would love to sit down with you and talk. So we had a conversation. That's what we used to do in the old days. I guess it's too much trauma for parents now. Maybe your kids would call and accuse you of abuse of some kind or something. I don't know. But folks, come on. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the assumption that God the Spirit omnipotently is daily, 24-7, 365, full court press, compelling your child to become like Jesus Christ. Don't aid your child. Don't aid yourself as an adult to get used to stiff-arming the Spirit of God's work in your life in this way. Don't tell the Spirit of God no. 
think Paul's saying here, look, even if I was a failure, and even if I was disciplined out of the church, the Spirit of God's still compelling you to become Christ-like. And to still continue to worship with those who are faithful in him. So no human excuse here. God the Spirit establishes us. So Paul's saying here, I'm not calling you to look at my own integrity. I'm not calling you to consider my own spiritual success. I'm not calling you to merely call for a reference like we talked about last week in Silas and Timothy. Just assume that the Spirit of God's pressing my soul to become more like Jesus Christ and then why don't you come talk to me so that we can sit down and grow in Christ-likeness together. Because maybe I need your help. Maybe you did see a blind spot that I had spiritually, and God the Spirit is compelling you to grow in Christ-likeness, to come and sit down and have a talk so that we can grow together. Why would you want to leave another saint with a blind spot? When the Lord Jesus Christ saved us, he comprehensively saved us and forgave us. And then what do we do? We forgive as Christ forgave us. Right? That's Ephesians 4, 32, isn't it? So I am calling you to exclusively first consider this. Is there proof that God has done a work in my heart? Is there proof that God has continued to do that work in my heart over the time that you've known me. I'm just using me as an example for no reason but to use me as an example. Because this is what we are to be asking ourselves individually as we interact with God's people. I'm confident that 100% of the people in this room this morning, right, if I was, you were to ask me, Pastor, let's say if Gloria was to ask me, Pastor, do you think that you see proof in my heart that I'm saved? My answer is going to be what? Amen, of course. Pastor, is there proof that God's continued to mold me into Christ's likeness over the 30 years that you've known me? And the answer is going to be immediately yes. So if Gloria and I have an issue between one another, that's where we start first. And then I know the Holy Spirit is going to mold us both into Christ's likeness. We can address the issue and we can move on. Folks, this is slam dunk easy. Because God the Spirit does it. It takes all the fear of human interaction away and it bolsters it with confidence that I need to have this conversation because I can't wait to see what the Spirit of God's going to do to grow us both in Christ's likeness because of what I assume. I don't have any hard conversations with Christians anymore. They're just not hard for me because what I get to assume before I have an opportunity to sit down and talk to them about the topic. Do you know how convicting it is for two saints when they sit down and they come to the table with these assumptions? It's good. It's powerful. So, you've taken that deep breath. Now it's time to pray about having a conversation. And then go have that conversation. The only thing that is terminal in the life of someone who's being constantly established in Christ 
is that the reality is the, is the reality that they are in Christ. When you think about something terminal happening to relationships, that can't happen between us if we assume these things. I can assume that you are terminally, forever, permanently in Christ. Therefore, the Spirit of God is going to help us to become more like you. If you want to typecast anything, typecast that reality. The disciplined, thoughtful reality of our lives in relationship to how we think of others is and will forever remain the spiritual fertilizer of organic growth between and among believers here at Grace Church of Menor. Philip Hughes says this in his commentary, by penetrating beyond such superficialities to the very heart of the matter, namely the believer's dynamic status in Christ, he makes it plain that his concern is not simply with the opinion which others may hold of him personally. He does not lay claim to integrity as a personal achievement. All is attributed to the redeeming and recreative activity of the Holy Trinity in Paul's life. Paul knew the testimony of Christ had been established in him as he knew it had been established in the Corinthians from chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 and 8. Paul therefore asks all believers to recognize this permanent, irreversible work of God's grace in each and every person's heart who claims Christ. Who claims Christ. Sorry, that's establishing. How about commissioning? How about commissioning? And... The Spirit of God anointed us. The next three verbs, we're going to go from the present daily activity to something God did for us the moment we were born again, and he promises to continue to do in us until we see Jesus face to face. That's the nature of the grammar here. So we go from a daily activity to something God did the moment we were saved. And by the way, most of us didn't even think about this that God was doing this the moment we were saved, but this is what God the Spirit did. Okay. And he promises to underpin that reality of what he did the moment we were born again until we see Jesus. This is one of three. He anointed us. Many of you know that this word was used when a king, priest, or prophet of the Old Testament was set apart for special service in a public commissioning way. So according to the grammar of the text, the Spirit of God at our conversion commissioned us to service in his family only in a New Testament church context. The Holy Spirit sets the believer apart at salvation and empowers them for spiritual service in the body of Christ. Christ knew the influences we've already stated of the Spirit of God upon his life. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, even the divine one of God had a divine assist, if you will. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He hath sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Paul realized the same anointing, the same commissioning, the moment he was born again. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was sent by Christ to the nations to do what? As Luke says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 17, open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive remission of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith. 
So consider also what Philip Hughes says here. To all whom he chooses and commissions to be his witnesses and servants, God grants the unction or the help, the divine support of the Spirit, so that in a subordinate and derivative sense, and not only in a mediatorial sense, because there's only one mediator, that's the Son of God, 1 Timothy 2, it is possible to speak of them what are in Christ as God's Messiahs or anointed ones. His little Christs. So when God says in Psalm 105, 15, touch not my anointed ones, the Hebrew term in the Septuagint is little messiahs. Touch not my little Christs because they've been commissioned. They've been anointed. While in Old Testament reality, prophets, priests, and kings were publicly anointed and commissioned to service in Christ in a New Testament era, we are a spiritual people a spiritual nation anointed by the Spirit to serve him in and through the church to do what? Proclaim. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. For the pastor, teacher, and the teacher, James 3, 2 Timothy chapter 4, to preach the word, to teach the word, for all of us to proclaim the gospel, right? Because the Spirit of God has empowered us to do what? Go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We're priests, aren't we? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, by the power of the Spirit, we offer ourselves a living sacrifice that is holy, logical, and reasonable. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, and he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you know what? We're kings too. Kings over what? Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 14. By the Spirit of God, we are granted a kingly role over sin. Guess what? When you were born again, God made you king over sin instead of sin is king over you. Amen. You have power now by the Spirit of God as a royal priesthood over sin that cannot have dominion over you. As you walk in the Spirit, you cannot gratify the lust of the flesh. Then you know 2 Timothy 2.12, right? If we endure, we will also reign with him. He's made us kings not only now, he's made us kings in the millennial kingdom. And we will reign with him. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6, blessed are the holy. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection over these the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The indwelling and the anointing of the Spirit of God in Paul and the Spirit's influence through Paul would bring the Corinthians again to trust him if they would just look just merely at establishing and commissioning. Get your eyes off of Paul. Look at what God's doing through Paul. And then he says, okay, if those two aren't enough, the Spirit of God gives me safekeeping and gives you safekeeping. Here's sealing, right? Here's sealing. Again, something that happened to you the moment you were born again. This is a picture of a signet ring. You know this story if you know your Bibles well. It identified the author and the authority with which a letter would be sent from a political 
or legal authority in this particular time in Bible history. It would have been a ring that they would have taken and placed ink, a glob of ink on the closure of the letter, and they would have stamped their ring into that ink, therefore protecting its contents, reminding the recipient of the authorial intent and the authority behind that letter that was penned and sent to them. We're reminded in, Hebrews, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 that we're not to grieve the Spirit of God where we've been sealed unto the day of redemption. In the Holy Spirit, the Christian is secure for all of eternity. Jesus Christ is really God's letter to us, and then the Bible calls us, Paul calls us, Christ's letter, us, Christ's epistle to others. Speaking of this work, this permanent, protected work that the Spirit of God has done in our hearts. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. The promise of the Spirit of God in Ephesians 1.13, if you're taking notes, where Paul says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the seal of the promised spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Think of how the doctrine of the sealing of the Spirit in Paul's life would bring confidence to the Corinthian believer who didn't trust him. Hughes again writes, The sealing itself, however, is neither metaphorical nor external. As a sealing with the Holy Spirit of God, it is a stamping of the divine character of the human personality, a fresh and indestructible communication to the believer of the image of God which was defaced through the fall. He who carries the impress of the spirit of truth is not faithless and insincere. So think about that. In these mending of human relationships, should I say in the maintenancing, because I don't think there's much mending at all that has to go on here at Grace. And the maintenancing of these human relationships, when those obligatory conversations we're compelled to have, we must have, we must get excited about having to grow in Christ-likeness together. Think about the ceiling, the person that you're about to speak to. The moment they professed Christ and were born again, they were sealed indelibly with the character of God in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God is compelling them to grow even in your conversation. And guess what? They will if you'll have it. They will if you'll have it. Think about how this doctrine solidifies the confident expectation we have in each other's spiritual growth and development. Think of how the reality of this doctrine in each who believes here this morning demands our admission and recognition of the reality of the work of the Spirit of God in other believers' lives, and therefore the expectation of growth. Isn't that what we're going to be here? We want to be expectant of spiritual growth. I think, I think, you know, one of a lot of reasons why Christians don't have these conversations is because a lot of times in our past, I know for me, for one, 
we didn't come to these conversations with this doctrine in our tool belt, in our communication tool belt. So a lot of those conversations didn't go very well. Because there wasn't a lot of giving the benefit of the doubt when you pulled up and said, let's pray, let's talk. There wasn't a lot of divine assuming that could be done. Everyone came to those conversations just to kind of pin the tail on the donkey, get out of the room, pr prove themselves right, and walk on with life. That's not the purpose of Christian communication, is it? Not here. This is so much more refreshing. <laughs> just saying. This is so much more refreshing. How exciting. So if we're compelled not to have conversations to maintenance this, the relationship we have in Christ-likeness unto more Christ-likeness, then we know it's not the Spirit of God compelling us not to have that conversation. Because we get to grow together if we do have it. Guaranteeing. It says here, He gave us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Again, this is something that happened the moment we were born again. Years ago, 2004, I put a $1 down payment on the lot where we built our house. The owner of that land took it. That $1 held something for me of great value. That's the quarter acre upon which I would build a home to move my beautiful wife and my four littles at that point to rear a family. There we knew the rest of our family life would together be spent, memories made, joys and sorrows lived out together, and maybe even grandkids to visit. It's home for us, and home is invaluable for all of us, isn't it? Well, at our salvation, God gave us the eternal deposit of the Holy Spirit, who is the promise of God of all eternal riches. He gave us the earnest of the Spirit, the down payment, the deposit. And where did he give it? In our hearts when he indwelled us, the moment we're born again. He firmly placed us into union with Jesus Christ. He is the guarantee and encouragement of all of our hearts of all future eternal blessings and realities. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14, who, the Spirit, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, that is, the first works of the Spirit in our heart, which would include this earnest down payment, even we ourselves growing within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body from this old fallen planet. On your own time, read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, as a cross-reference here. One of the blessings of the realities of a reward that we'll receive in the future is when we die and put off this body, immediately we're given a new body. And in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we'll look at later as we go through this book, we're finding out that that guarantee of that body is because of the deposit Jesus made the moment we were born again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and verse 11, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
will be abundantly supplied to you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a reliable guarantor. He cannot break his promises in relationship to that which he began, he will complete in relationship to spiritual blessings and promises. So in Christ, God establishes us by way of the Holy Spirit. And in him, we are commissioned, kept safe, and guaranteed. One author said the consideration that Paul is established together with the Corinthians in Christ and has been anointed, sealed, and given the earnest of the Spirit should convince the Corinthians how groundless are their charges of fickleness and instability which certain ill-disposed persons have been muttering against him. Look at what the Spirit of God's doing in your lives, people. Be amazed at that. Stand and applaud and give praise to God for that. Amen. We haven't had any sports to stand and applaud and cheer for lately. How about if we cheer for that? How about if we just assume that God's omnipotence is doing that in all of us? I close in a minute with this. Verse 21, verse 22. Notice the phrases, us with you and in our hearts. Paul's not just asking them to look at the work of the Spirit of God in his life. He's doing the same with them, even though their criticisms of him are so petty and superficial. Isn't that powerful? That was powerful to me. Paul's never top-heavy in this discussion. In Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, he's on the same spiritual planes as the ones in Corinth who have typecasted him to an unchanging, indecisive, unreliable saint. So when we address any issue among the flock, this is the mindset in which we approach our resolution conversations. And before us this morning are four subjective acts of God upon us in establishing, commissioning, safeguarding, and guaranteeing. One happens daily. Three occurred the moment we were saved. All enacted on our behalf by last word of the sermon. So it's got to happen. By, are you ready? Everyone look up here. Ready? Last word of the sermon. All these things subjectively enacted upon us by the Holy Spirit have all been enacted upon us with and by omnipotence. So I say this. Trust me. If you don't allow these conversations to happen... God is never dormant considering his activity in your soul. He will compel you to have them. And if it's not here, it's going to be somewhere. Because God is never dormant. Omnipotence never sleeps. And the Spirit of God wants us 
to be healthy in our relationships so that we can do things eternal for him, only do them together. Do them together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that we would allow omnipotence to do what only omnipotence can do, that we would continue to allow the Spirit of God to establish, commission, keep safe, realize the guarantee that he is to us, eternal promises to come, and that we would all realize the work of the Spirit done within us as we minister among us and that we would rejoice over that activity and praise you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.